Well, no, I saw that too. I was like, finally, someone's talking about my funny voices. Everyone talks about your funny voices. Just never, it's, it's a sort of void never that enough. they're throwing yeah, their compliments into. I'm four or full of holes. You are perpetually one compliment away from being a whole person. Mm, yeah. From not being dead inside. Yeah. Just one more. You bang on the money. That's true. Oh, we got a little tear trickling down yeah, your cheek. Yeah. It's not the first time I've cried on the podcast. <laughs> and it won't be the last. Welcome to Save Me From My Shelf, a literature podcast where we take classic tomes off their pedestal to make you less anxious about reading them. Our jokes come from a place of love and for a specific teaching purpose. However, if you think that making fun of great literature, and maybe some mild swearing, is offensive, this might not be the podcast for you. Hello, you are listening to Save Me From My Shelf. I am Abby, and Hadrian's Wall sitting across from me is Daniel. Wait, is I thought I was, they were meant to be like Englishy things, and that's sort of Anglo-Scottish or Roman. It's part of the UK. It's a fixture. Yeah. It's tall. It's <laughs> have, you, have you been there? It's not that tall. It's all crumbled. I was trying to be generous. I was hoping you wouldn't get there on your own. It's got a shrine of Mithras, and as we all know, I am a Mithridite. Right, derailed this. Do you want to do one then? Do you want to introduce us? Hi, welcome to Save Me From My Shelf. My name is Daniel. Sitting opposite me is high fructose corn syrup, aka Abby. Now I am doing the funny jokes. <laughs> so, um, what are we talking about today, please? And thank you. We're, you're welcome. <laughs> My shtick. Mm -hmm. To be a mob. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished. Okay, so do we have any letters or book recommendations? Indeed we do. After... Telling everyone to pull their finger out last week. I clearly spooked a few people because they have written to us. The first message is from someone called Neve. Hi, I love your podcast. We are currently studying The Great Gatsby in school and the episode you guys did on it has been really useful as a way to recap the book in my mind. No problem. So thank you for that. Then I should have said no problem. <laughs> Yeah, finish the first sentence. <laughs> I also loved your Frankenstein episode, as it is one of my favorite books. Oh, Neve, you're a fool. We didn't know what we were doing. We were terrified in that episode. Yeah, well, I'm glad you like it. it but... The good works shine through. <laughs> Could I recommend Great Expectations or Twelfth Night? Once I again, thanks. I know nothing about Twelfth Night, actually. I've never read it, never seen it. Couldn't um, tell you one thing about it. Here's a little confession. I marked A-levels on Twelfth Night, and I hadn't read it. They're going to demand all your money back. Uh, no, I did good marking. You can tell a good essay from a bad. That, that Malvolio, yellow stockings. That's Twelfth Night, right? Why? I literally... You don't listen to me. Sometimes, Daniel, I just think, you're not really hearing me. No. Our second letter is from the mysterious A.M., I don't know who that could be. We've, we, I'm not going to lie, we spent a very long time trying to think up funny celebrity names that start with AM and couldn't think of one. No, yeah, so please, if you're out there and you're aware of celebrities whose initials are AM, please write in and tell us who our mysterious correspondent is. Could be Anti-Meridian. Could be The Morning. The Morning. Yeah. The concept of The Morning. The morning's more than a concept, it's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite know what that's all about. 
Uh, oh, it's all socially constructed. No, it's not. It's real. Um, okay. <laughs> Little letter from Auntie Meridian, my, my favourite aunt. Um, Dear Abby and Daniel, a brief note of thanks for your podcast. It was recommended to me by a friend, and now I eagerly await every episode. Aww. Ooh, that's nice, isn't it? They are getting better and better. There you go. So, I mean, they were quite bad at the beginning, so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's contest of inches. And it's a great shame it doesn't come out every week. That would literally kill me. Yeah. It just about kills me as it is, and I am off work at the moment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll just do my um, bonus material, maybe my, my one-man show and things for the off weeks. <laughs> Hamlet was the best yet! You both sounded so relaxed that I felt like I was eavesdropping on a private conversation. Uh, you were? Yeah. Could you please get the f*** out of my office? <laughs> in all honesty, you two have been a great comfort to me during a bad time in my life. Oh, oh I'm sorry to sorry hear that. that. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad I'm time sorry that life. we're the comfort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That, yeah. As the days in front of us seem to be getting darker, your warmth, goofiness, so I'm the warm one, uh, you're the goofiness. You one. have never been accused of being warm a day <laughs> in your life. Your warmth, goofiness, clear affection, and easily digestible smarts yeah. stick out like a ray of sunshine your students must be very lucky and learn a lot from you they are and do this old dog has certainly learned a, new, a few new things wow we've beaten the proverbs <laughs> that's exciting i hope you have plans to keep making this show for a long while i don't have any book requests i will listen to anything you record cherish each other and the good you're doing in the world. Wow, Aww. the good we're doing in the world, God. That's really nice. Yeah, thank you, AM. And please write in with your celebrity name, because I know you're a celebrity, I know it. Or write in with who your friend is, so we can thank them for recommending. Wouldn't it be funny if AM wasn't famous, but their friend was? <laughs> what, like Tyra Banks listens <laughs> Tyra, to the show? <laughs> Tyra Banks recommended it to, her, to her good friend AM. We do have one correction. In the last episode... I, I don't think this is a correction. I think you're being too hard on yourself. Carry on. Oh. Although I did think when you said it, I was like, but well, finish it and then I can explain my thinking. Oh, okay, so you're trying to get cred for being magnanimous, and then, but also underscore that I'm an idiot. I see the tightrope you're walking. Yeah, that's my whole bag. I respect Still it. Still in Charybdis. And in the last episode, I said it was the Danes that gifted bicycles to each other. I was thinking of the Dutch. They are the famous bicycle riders. I'm a fool. No, see, that's what I was thinking. When you said the Danes and bikes, I was like... Well, that's weird because I normally associate that more with the Dutch. But Copenhagen is considered a very good city for cycling. So okay. I don't think, I think you're fine. I think a, a Dane would appreciate a bike. Okay, Daniel giveth. Is Daniel going to take it away? No, that, that's it. Just that I did think... No, no, don't. You don't, you're not nice. Maybe you, it will come later, it, maybe. Okay. We also have an update on our corporate mandate that we become real friends. So a couple of episodes ago, I revealed that we don't actually like each other at all. Um, and corporate was pretty annoyed by this, so they've been sending us an, on a bunch of different sort of activities to make us get on. This time they sent us on a Steve Coogan, Rob Brydon, the trip-style journey around the Midlands, uh, hoping we'd bond over a lot of boozy meals. All I can say is a lot of silent lunches. We also ran a poll from our last episode about who the real Shakespeare was, because last episode we gave some good conspiracy theories. Y'all are so basic. You you all just said, Shakespeare is Shakespeare. One dude. They should have suggested alternatives. I was yeah. waiting for that where people are going, wait till you hear the crazy thing I've said. But no. There was something I wanted to say that maybe you can keep this or not. But I remembered reading somewhere that, about the etymology of surnames and it was saying, <laughs> it was saying that um, some people think that the etymology of the name Shakespeare, their ancestor, somebody walked in on them pleasuring themselves. Oh! I love an author conspiracy theory, like just 
sort of intellectually, I find them fascinating. If you have any more author conspiracy theories, please send them in. I will happily read them. So, Daniel, what is our text today? It's bleak. Bloody bleak. We're in Britain. It's a thousand years ago, but it's still pretty recognizable. Grim and grey, drizzle drains down into mears and mires. The sea froths with scum onto slate-colored sands. The chief occupations of the English are peasant or monk. Life is dreary. <laughs> But they still recall the old days, their ancestors, the Angles and the Saxons and the Jutes and all them lot, who not that long ago had arrived and driven the Celts to the coast. And they even tell some of the old stories, including today's text, Beowulf. Goes without saying we are going to spoil this text for you. The trigger warnings just generally monsters and violence. I don't know that I can get much more specific than that. Okay, do you want to do some background? Yes, please. This is an Anglo-Saxon epic poem, written in Old English. The language of the Anglo-Saxons. They just call it English, probably. We're reading a translation by Seamus Heaney. Yeah, so this is, this is a good text if you've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, as your girl here has been. So if you enjoyed that, which I kind of didn't, i got to be honest with you, you will probably enjoy this, which I also kind of didn't. You didn't enjoy Beowulf? I thought it was probably <laughs> great. I really enjoyed it. It's it was, my favourite one. It what, the favourite text we've done so far? I think so, yeah. Really? Yeah. Is it because you're a big boy and you liked all the gore? No, well, well, mm. we can talk about that, but I think it was more the, the poetry. I don't really, I've not read a lot of poetry lately, and that was nice to get back into that. It's kind of historically ambivalent, isn't it? So it's set, as I was saying in the set the scene, it's set in kind of um, pagan Scandinavia, so there's loads of sort of sacrifices and trolls and warrior codes and things, but it's also kind of written from the point of, well, like, I think it was... This version was written in Christian England, so there's kind of lots of allusions to Christianity. There's these two value systems and two ages that sort of jostle alongside one another, which I quite like, that's quite weird. There's no rhyme scheme or any kind of metrical rules like that. So the main devices in Old English poetry, instead of rhyme and meter, are alliteration. And also, everyone's favourite, kennings. A kind of metaphor that describes its object via a compound term. So the classics are sky candle, meaning the sun, whale road, the sea. There are so many kennings in this. I think we're going to do a little ding yeah, or a sound effect. I think that's good, yeah. For every, everyone. If you want to uh, play along, because there is a lot of booze in this, take a drink every time we read a kenning. Or don't, you might die. Hmm. I was wondering about kennings and the idea of the two value system as well. Ooh, I this, like that, yeah. This, but just, I mean, they're they're so prevalent in this, and but it's these two sort of disparate things that cohere to make a slightly awkward but ultimately poetic whole. Yeah, well, I've got loads to say about Kennings, but I'm yeah, sure you do. But yeah, I think it is about in part about disjunction, isn't it? So yeah, I like that. Finally, there's a bit of ambiguity about authorship, as is common with epic poems. Also, the dating. Also how it was originally, you know, its original medium, whether it was originally an oral poem or whether it was, you know, first written down, and also its kind of heritage. So was it based on one older legend or was it a composite of more than one? Is it a kind of retelling or a commentary on older works? Or is it just a kind of completely original work that just kind of plays on the older mythic tradition? I don't think anyone really knows, do they? I mean, obviously neither of us is a scholar of old English literature, but I think it's the jury's kind of a bit out on this. It could have been written any time between, what, 700 AD and 1000 AD. And there's like and an ambiguity of like, even if it yeah. was written down then... Did it come they, from something yeah, earlier? Was there an oral tradition before that? Yeah. What I like is that we're kind of following in the line of oral tradition by retelling yes, this. Yes. 
Okay, so in line with that oral tradition, pull up a chair and a horn of liquor, only if you were of the legal drinking age, because I know we have some high schoolers listening to this. Or not, whatever, I'm, I'm not your mother. Just make good choices. Or don't, because nobody in this poem does. Just a skull, motherfuckers. We open on the word havet, which many scholars will tell you is an untranslatable word that roughly means hark, listen, behold. You have some issues with the translation of havet? Well, it's the ancestor of our word, what, as in... What? What's for tea? Yeah, what? <laughs> but I just re I recently read there's some scholar called George Walkden who said that that was a complete misunderstanding, that it's not an interjection. It's just how. Apparently, we've all been thinking it was some big, like, listen to me thing, but in fact, it's just like, how in the years of Kings gone by? You know, it's, it's just a. Oh, no, I already forgot the scholar's name, but dude, choose drama. But it make, it's disappointing, but it makes more sense, I think. No. So, vet dummies. Okay, so Daniel and I have just had to restart this because we had a big uh, debate over where this is set specifically. We're just going to say Scandinavia. So, okay, guys. Scandinavia, somewhere. We're with the Danes as a group of people. The Danes have a lot of legends about all of their great heroes and kings. We go through a lot of them. I don't care. But here's one of them. This is the legend we're focusing on. A king named Hrothgar, who is beloved by his people, and he built this great mead hall, which is a sort of second division wonder of the world, but still pretty hot shit. So he names his mead hall Heorot, Mm, smashed it. I'm yeah, going yeah. to be getting letters. It's the sort of place where no one has a drinking problem, but everyone has a drinking solution. <laughs> he started a frat, is what I'm saying. These guys really know how to party. If there's one thing they can't stand, it's up. Unfortunately, Hrothgar's people partied so hard, they woke up a fucking demon down in hell, a, quote, prowler through the dark. And I just think, how loud must you be screaming chug to wake up somebody in hell? A, a train could not be chugging louder than you. It's Christian rock that's keeping them up, isn't it? It's the, uh, <laughs> it's the minstrel singing about God and creation and everything. That's what the devil doesn't, the demon doesn't like. The demon's name is Grendel, and he is apparently a descendant of Cain from the Bible, along with a lot of other Norse monsters and giants and trolls and shit. So Grendel pulls his tired ass up from hell and starts pacing around the fens and the heaths near the mead hall. Do you think this is just an intervention that's gone wrong? What, Grendel? Listen, we all care about you guys. It's normally one person being intervened upon by the several people, not, not <laughs> one. Yeah. That's why it went yeah, wrong. Yeah. After nightfall, Grendel descends on the mead hall, a smashing and a slaughtering. He butchers 30 men and takes their corpses back to his lair. That's kind of an unconventional way to drink a rack of beer, but okay, I'm with him. Um, That's a what? pack of 30. Right, okay. I don't count. <laughs> <laughs> Greedy and grim, Grendel makes a habit of these raids, waging his lonely war on the Danes and committing ever more gruesome murders without remorse. The Danes start to kind of avoid Herot. The greatest house in the world stood empty, a deserted wallstead, except at night when Grendel haunted the glittering hall. But as an enemy of God, he can't sit on the throne. And this whole hoo-ha goes on for 12 years. So he's grabbing dudes every night for 12 years straight? This is like 750 AD. You're telling me that in Scandinavia, you would have enough people to, to populate that that sort of need? Um, there are only 1,500 people in all of southern Sweden at this point in history, probably. Or indeed northern Denmark. So, who knows? 
they, the Danes, they, they pray to pagan gods, don't they? Which uh, is interesting because they're also kind of Christians. So who knows what's going on? I thought that this, the, the sort of marriage of these two cultures, I thought this was Christian propaganda. How can we absorb your traditions into ours oh, to yeah, make yeah, them? Yeah, 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 yeah. It really yeah, struck yeah, me as yeah. like, this is very much written from well, the Christian perspective. Don't say Quetzalcoatl, say the Virgin Mary. You mean yeah, like that? Yes. Yeah. Hrothgar and his people try everything, but nothing works. I mean, you guys could just stop partying. It's like they're trying to get stabbed. Yeah. Turn up the music, bro. Daddy's gotta get stuck. <laughs> you wrote that this is a spooky timeshare. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I really liked. Until one day, word reaches a mysterious swordsman and lord in a foreign land named Beowulf. And he cowboys in Geatland. a... I'm really sorry. In Geatland. <laughs> and he cowboys in across the Swans Road. What is the Swans Road? Special road for swans? No, it's the sea. A lot of traffic today on the Swans Road. Whale broke down on the I-89. <laughs> so Beowulf comes to Heorot, and he's like, Sick meat hall, bro. I'm sorry your buzz is getting so harsh. Just so you know, I'm like the hero of this story and completely excellent. And Beowulf is kind of what would happen if a 10-year-old who just watched Conan the Barbarian was granted too many wishes by a genie. We get some really boring court formalities and family histories, and Beowulf brags about himself pretty insufferably. He's kind of a giant wang who won't, won't stop talking about how great he is, and he does this by unlocking his word hoard. Kenning just means he's got the gift of the gab. And he also says that he is more than a match for Grendel. So just this Trump motherfucker comes in saying that he's the best, he's the bravest, he's the smartest. He also says that he can beat Grendel without any weapons or armor and with his big dick energy tied behind his back. Then a dude named Unferth pipes up. And Unferth doesn't really think Beowulf is quite such hot shit, and he isn't afraid to say so. So he's like, hey, are you that same Beowulf who got into a stupid pissing contest once with a guy named Brekka, where you both did this foolhardy swimming contest and everyone thought you were idiots, and also you lost to Brekka? And Beowulf's response is, hey, we were both drunk, we cannot be held culpable for anything we do or say, and also I beat Brekka and slew a sea beast while I was out there, which I'm sure it is... Is he just saying he like started punching the ever-loving shitfire out of a whale? Yeah, I lashed out and gave as good as I got with my sword. My flesh was not for feasting on. Instead, in the morning, mangled and sleeping the sleep of the sword, the sea monsters slopped and floated like the ocean's leavings. Poor little free willy. <laughs> <laughs> That's Scandinavia in a fucking pill. Just a drunk, cold swimming contest that ends up with putting Shamu in a chokehold. <laughs> okay, so then... Wheelthiao, Hrothgar's queen, and somebody who apparently my spell check recognizes. Yeah, mine did too, yeah. <laughs> I went, wow, okay. She comes into the hall, and she thinks Beowulf is just the tits, and they all start drinking. But in fairness to them, you know how you have to drink all the malt liquor once you open it, otherwise it'll go off, right? Of course. Hrothgar then entrusts the mead hall to Beowulf and his men, knowing that Grendel's going to show up soon, and he's like, good luck, hope you survive the night. Hrothgar and Wheelthiao go off to have sex, and with death on their doorstep, I bet they get real freaky with it. I bet they do it all three of the ways. Okay. <laughs> the party was like old times, but then as dusk falls, they were all like feeling Grendel approach. That's such a scary bit. He plotted all day from dawnlight until darkness gathered around again over the world, 
and stealthy night shapes came stealing forth under the cloud murk. In off the moors, down through the mist bands, God-cursed Grendel came greedily loping. Like you being called for a big breakfast. He rips the front door off, and you know, so, so runs his eyeball across the sleeper and geats. You know, they don't notice the door being ripped off. They, I suppose, they've ever overindulged. Yeah, um, yeah. You wrote in the script heavy sleepers, and I just wrote vodka. He grabs and mauls one of the men, bit into his bone lappings, bolted down his blood, and gorged on him in lumps. Bone lappings recur in this poem, and I'm not entirely sure what they are, but they don't sound. That doesn't sound like something that I want to be bitten, bitten into. I, it's just like sucking out the bone marrow, isn't it? Oh, do you think? I thought it was the... No, I thought bo the bone lappings were the parts of flesh that kind of were connected to the bone. Grendel mm. <laughs> then turns to Beowulf, who's apparently asleep, and prepares to attack him with his talon. But Beowulf is not asleep. Here's the other thing. <laughs> Awake? Yeah, thank you. He didn't have as much to drink as the other. I think he just can hold it. I don't know, his blood alcohol is at awesome, but that's under the legal limit in Scandinavia. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. He quickly gets Grendel and, you know, puts him in an arm lock. Beowulf, I don't know, I don't want to put, you know, I can't belabor the point anymore. He is strong. Grendel quails and recoils but cannot escape. He screams so loud that even the Danes, you know, hiding away outside of Hayrot, can hear it. This is 100% some business dudes trying to out-handshake each other. Although all these toxic practices pass down to the current lot of the current crop of blokes, don't they? Yes. The other geats try and attack Grendel, but no blade on earth, no blacksmith's art could ever damage their demon opponent. For some reason he could resist swords, magic or something. Beowulf still has Grendel in the arm lock. The monster's whole body was in pain. A tremendous wound appeared on his shoulder. Sinews split. Safe word. What's the safe word? <laughs> pineapple. <laughs> Jubilee. They didn't know about pineapples in medieval Scandinavia. He rips off Grendel's arm, and the monster runs off, exhausted in spirit and beaten in battle, bloodying the path, hauling his doom to the demon's mere. The bloodshot water wallowed and surged. There were loathsome upthrows and overturnings of waves and gore and wounds slurry. Oh. I bloody love that. With death upon him, he had dived deep into his marsh den, drowned out his life and his heathen soul. Hell claimed him there. Oh, yeah, oh, go on, Fantastic, get. isn't it? I love that. Wound slurry. Jesus. Also, I can't believe Beowulf missed the opportunity to hit Grendel over the head with his own arm. Why you hit yourself? Why you hit yeah. yourself? Like, all the classics of Big Brothers. Or, um... Kind of like a sort of shitty action film these days. He'd be all saying something like, "Mine if I, if you lend me a hand or something." Like. You were thinking of. I like that you were thinking of action films of the eighties, and for you, that's a modern film. No, come on. They, they, it's my comparison to Beowulf. <laughs> the next day, everyone celebrates, and Beowulf hangs up Grendel's arm as some sort of disgusting trophy. Hrothgar is like, Beowulf, you are just a shining star in the firmament. I want to adopt you. I, too, would like to make babies compete via violence if they want to get adopted by me. Just give some eight-month-olds some broken pool Was Grendel cues. possibly going to get adopted by Roscar? No, but just, like, if you want to be adopted by me, you have to prove your worth. Earn my love. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Shiv each other in the gutter, man. Then a minstrel turns up and is like, new saga just dropped, dude. And he recites a poem comparing Beowulf to the mythic hero Sigmund. Sigmund? Yeah, Sigmund, I suppose. Well, they spell it like an asshole. Who, foreshadowing alert, kills a dragon. The hot dragon melted. I bloody love that. That's the noise that a dragon makes when it melts. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I don't feel very well. 
It also sounds suspiciously like you at any time doing anything. There's also a lot of gift giving. Hey. So much gift giving. I never want to see another gift again. If you were to give me a gift right now, I would slap you across the face. That's how much gift giving there is. I'm so tired uh, of it. Fabergé egg away then? You would rather die than buy something like a Fabergé egg. As a gift? (laughs) I hate it, but I was thinking of you. Can I have my joke, please? What is your joke? It's a prefab joke. Do it. King Haraskar gives Beowulf some nice swords and armor, and he also gives him a standard, a gold standard, which is the, you know, this is not any old gold standard. This is the gold standard of gold standards. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel, you are worth every penny I pay you. Thank you. Then they party. I don't know if you know this, Daniel, but this is actually the night the keg stand was invented. This is why I'm flopping it, because I just don't know any of this inane frat boy culture. Okay, well... In Britain, we we just binge methodically and grimly. It's not... There's no sort of silly dressings that need kind of like I don't what is a keg stand it's where people stand you upside down and you grab the hose from the keg and you chug no, while you're see, upside no, down no I don't like any of that nonsense in England we just sit it's... there in silence swigging from the special brew can oh my god I just got a flash forward of you when you're 85 years For, old forward and back and <laughs> present yeah. I, I, look I'm not saying that I prefer the frat boy culture I don't I, you know this is why I only started drinking in Britain because it wasn't weird and competitive and performative like yeah. this this is quite boring isn't it I'm probably capable of making an ass of myself without needing silly games to do that the minstrel pipes up with another poem oh for god's sake another jabroni at a party with a guitar shut up Travis Jabroni. This one is about a feud between the Danes and the Frisians. The Danish princess, Hildebur, married the Frisian king, Finn. They put their differences beside them, got married. It's a diplomatic thing. Here's hope. They have many happy years together. No, they don't. There's a do between the two families at the Frisian court, and it very quickly turned into a bloodbath. The tribes kind of hold out in different rooms of the, the big hall house divided that's quite a good bit i like that and then there's a great bit about the funeral after the fight once they cool cool things down carcass flamed swirled and fumed they stood round the burial mound and howled as heads melted crusted gashes spattered and ran bloody matter so it's a bit of a downer after beowulf's triumph to hear about this on with you this episode you're normally such a delicate little flower the poetry that I like. This is also an inversion of Hamlet a little bit. Do you think that they ate the potato salad from the wedding at the funeral? Ooh, yeah, this is an inversion of Hamlet. I like that, yeah. The the, the wedding-baked potato salads did coldly furnish the funeral feast. The Danes eventually kill King Finn. Throw it coming. Sounds like it if he's killing his guests. And take Hildeburg back to Denmark. So it's a bit of a Scandinavian Iliad, isn't it? Yeah, I like this bit, all the poems within poems, epics within epics. Epics are obsessed with the telling of epics, aren't they? They're always yeah. talking about the muse and everything, I like that. Now the queen is there, and she lavishes some gifts on Beowulf after that little poetic interlude. Um, and some of which some of which he will uh, tender to King Hygelac of the Geats, his boss. So, uh, you know, when he heads back across the frothing wave vat... There's a canning for you. Uh, Everyone, I love that one. No, just this video game sucks. What, just people giving each other gifts? It's like like Zelda where you have to trade with people all the time. Everyone goes to bed, which in pre-modern terms means sleeps on the floor. 
in a kind of drunken sprawl. I like that they all just pass out on the ground in a giant pile of blonde hair braids and fur cloaks like 50 wasted Daenerys Targaryens. Or like a rat king. They Ooh. wake up stuck to each other. So, Grendel is dead. The Danes are all safe. Long live the Grendel. Do you want to, should we head out early? You want to go get a drink or? What about good casting and things, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, but yeah so that's it. That's uh, Thank you for coming. That's the end of the story. Oh, wait. Or is it? Because <clears throat> then we get, quote, Grendel's mother, monstrous Hellbride, brooded on her wrongs. Nice. I think um, I'm in your phone as monstrous Hellbride, aren't I? <laughs> and she attacks when they're all sort of in their cups, and she steals Hrothgar's best friend, Aesir, and she steals back Grendel's severed arm and takes them to her lair. That's not one. Beowulf is in another lodging for the night, so he's not there to stop her. That sounds like an inside job to me. I think she paid him off. <laughs> Hrothgar laments the loss of his, quote, soulmate, Aesir. Queer reading, hooray! Uh, and he summons Beowulf to avenge him in yet another... Uh, you know, supposed suicide mission just to get this big old bag of bitch. But where does she live? That's the question. They don't know where to find her. There are legends that she lives in an accursed lake. <clears throat> like Jason Voorhees? This is way creepier than some holiday camp. A few miles from here, a frost-stiffened wood waits and keeps watch above a mere. The overhanging bank is a maze of tree roots mirrored in its surface. At night there, something uncanny happens. The water burns, and the mere bottom has never been sounded by the sons of men. That's such a great oh. bit. Even a deer being chased by hounds wouldn't jump into its waters. It would sooner fight the hounds. Do you want to read about this ridiculous sentence? Yes, um... I don't know what's going on here. I think this might be a sort of extended kenning. This is a really weird bit here. So when Grendel's mother arrives and kills everybody, we get this little description of her violent acts. Her onslaught was less only by as much as an Amazon warrior's strength is less than an armed man's when the hefted sword, its hammered edge and gleaming blade, slathered in blood, raises the sturdy boar ridge off a helmet. <laughs> totally so, normal yeah. sentence. What, what is that? That's a kind of real like... Cat's cradle in sentence form. I was thinking it was uh, a bit of heroic age arithmetic. A bit of a. <laughs> Wait, you can read it. Read it again slowly. Let's, let's, very slowly. Come on, everybody. Because I've read this about I five times. Write in. I yeah, I read it a few times. Her onslaught was less, only by as much as an Amazon warrior's strength is less than an armed man's when the hefted sword, its hammered edge and gleaming blade, slathered in blood, raises the sturdy borage off a helmet. I think it's saying that she was as strong as any bloke. I think that's the point, that it's kind of like a wink. Like, yeah, she's a woman. She's about as weak as a really tough woman. Imagine, <laughs> imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> about as weak as a warrior woman who's like a warrior to a bloke warrior. <laughs> that's the gist, isn't it? Daniel, I feel like I am drunk in a corn maze when I read this sentence. Um, I am completely lost and confused, and I just want to sit down until somebody carries me. It's good, though. I like that. I like, I like that. That's the, that's the effect I want when I read an epic poem. Great. Okay. I like that Hrothgar's like, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough that Grendel's mother would kill my guy, because I did kill her boy. But we do need to kill her. I like that there's a kind of, the feud morality extends to demons. An arm for an arm makes the whole world harmless. That's not funny, Daniel. Grendel no. got really hurt. So, Beowulf and Hrothgar and all the rest follow the monster's trail and suddenly discovered the dismal wood 
mountain trees growing out at an angle above grey stones. The bloodshot water surged underneath. They find... What's the guy's name again? Ishir. Ishir, yeah. Yeah, they find Ishir's head. They're all horrified and they approach the lakeside. Everybody gazed as the hot gore kept wallowing up and an urgent warhorn repeated its notes. The water was infested with all kinds of reptiles, wild things such as those that often surface at dawn to roam the sail road. Kenning! Thank you. And doom the voyage. Uh, one of the geats, one of uh, Beowulf's retinue, shoots and kills one of these strange lake births. Kenning? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I like that anyway. Beowulf, he gets his armor and arms on and everything, keeping the bone cage of his body safe. Another Kenning. I, no, I, I have to... These are getting ridiculous. The bone cage of his body safe so his his fucking bones i'm keeping the bone cage it's your bones or your rib cage stop being an asshole sorry he makes a little verbal will doesn't he which i like he's like well all my comics to go to my nephew (laughs) all my crypto can go to brandon and steve but my snowboard does not go to kenny that's funnier yeah he would not take good care of it man (laughs) and then he just plunges into the lake's healing depths I bloody love this bit with the hot gore wallowing up. That's a me- hot gore. Ooh, it's still warm. Mm. You know, ugh, that's so revolting, isn't Are it? Are you getting turned on by this? What is happening <laughs> just, over there? I, well, we can talk about this in the analysis bit, but I really like this imagery. So, we're here at Grendel's mother's lair that they've, you know, they've trekked to find. They could have done a lot more about, like, where does she live? It just seems like, well, where does she live? We couldn't possibly tell. I was over there. Um, and then they're just there. Like I want, I want the quest. I want them figuring oh, it out. I love that about these medieval poems that they don't care about all that stuff. It's but at least in Gawain, you had, you know, oh, when he went on this long. At least they said they went on a long quest. He did all of these things. We're gonna cut this bit for time. But look, he had these adventures. I at least want some, you know, like what's the point of like oh, we couldn't possibly know who's that is. <laughs> like, <laughs> they say that some peasants had seen Grendel and his mother stalking the landscape. So that's where they got the. So it's kind of like the rumor mill, isn't it? Well, they they found it instantly anyway, so it's the, not one to build tension. And if you if you don't like that, what about the next bit where Beowulf swims all day and can breathe breathe underwater? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I I have thoughts and feelings about that. So Beowulf is there at this hideous lizard-covered, boiling, gore-filled lake, and he's real chill about the whole thing because this is just a normal Tuesday for him. He jumps into the water. And he swims down so deep that he swims for an entire day before he reaches the bottom. Weird. Impossible, some might say. I think this guy just rolled a sort of natural 20 for lung capacity. But in fairness, they did have that whole pissing contest thing earlier about him swimming, so this that makes the section a little bit more plausible, but ugh, whatever. As he's swimming down, Grendel's mother catches him in the water and brings him into her lair. So we've entered a boss battle. But then Beowulf gets some real bad news once they start fighting, which is that his sword is not sharp enough to pierce her skin. His, quote, battle torch is extinguished. Kenning. Kenning. Um, I'm going to have some thoughts to say about that later on, but I do hope he takes the sword back to the blacksmith and complains because, sir, this is not a quality product. (laughs) So Beowulf decides to fight her with his bare hands until he notices all the treasure and spoils in her lair, including this off great big sword from the old days when men were giants. Size is everything. You don't have to be an academic to pick up what I'm putting down. 
Beowulf manages to grab this giant sword. He swings it around and cuts her head straight off. No, come on. We've got to have the quote. Sorry, I know I always do this, but I'm just mad for these lines. A resolute blow that bit deep into her neck bone and severed it entirely, toppling the doomed house of her flesh. Jesus, come on. You know, I could fight like that if I wanted to. Yeah, I'm too busy yeah. being cute and funny. One might ask why the warrior who owns the sword previously didn't do this. No, uh, no, no questions. No questions at this time. Maybe she found it. On the shore, meanwhile, all the Danes think Beowulf is done for. They've had their packed lunch, they're bored, they go home. The Geats, meanwhile, they stay uh, in the vain hope that they'll see him again. So that's just a little, there's a little cut to the surface, which I like. I'm sorry, they came all this way and no one else is going to fight Grendel's mother? Really? What, you lost another brother in Rush scuba week? kit, and they... Rush Week, what's that? Oh, it's a frat joke. God damn it, these are wasted on you. Yeah, sorry. Beowulf, meanwhile, is down in the cave and he sees Grendel's body and he decides to cut the head off and the sword fucking melts because Grendel's blood is straight up acid. So, despite all the treasure in there, Beowulf decides to return only with the sword hilt from the giant sword and Grendel's head. Question. <laughs> How is he going to swim when he is trailing a leaking acid head behind him? Um, I think he'll swim about as well as an Amazon would swim <laughs> in conjunction with Michael Phelps if Michael Phelps had the flu but was stronger than ever. That was pretty funny. Uh, he comes back in fine fettle, doesn't he, which I like. Uh, the geeks all come back to Herat. They got Grendel's head on a spear, more acclamation from Hrothgar, more retelling of the story from Beowulf. Be Beowulf likes to recapitulate his stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, by all means, let's see again the thing we just saw. If I, like, I like that! If this were a movie, this would be the scene where you would get up and go to the bathroom. Beowulf gives Hrothgar the giant sword hilt. They have a bit more talk about the power of kings. Hrothgar's like, beware pride, Beowulf. Who knows, maybe it was my own pride that brought Grendel to the hole in the first place. So we've all learned something that's nice, isn't it? After 12 years of uh, <laughs> slaughter. And then they immediately forget it because they have a giant party because we haven't had a horn of mead in six pissing minutes. I'm getting a contact high just reading about these dudes. Yeah, like you need a drink after the kind of day Beowulf's had. Right? I know, but drinking is what got them into this. They partied so hard they woke up a hell beast. Um... A nightmare hell beast, Daniel. Beowulf decides the job is done and it's time for him to bounce. And Hrothgar thinks that Beowulf is just the absolute tits and should become king of the Geats. They high-five for probably like 75 minutes and they crush a bunch of tin cans on their heads and they give each other more gifts. Are we re-gifting at this point? Because what could possibly be left in Hrothgar's hall that has not been given to somebody at this I point? I think you underestimate how much Jesus. trash this, how many tchotchkes this guy's got. <laughs> Uh, here's a little uh, porcelain shepherd. <laughs> uh, thanks, King <laughs> So Beowulf's men set sail and they go back to Beowulf's uncle Hygelac's stronghold? Hygelac? Hygelac, I'm saying. And then they all start drinking. Um, I'm exhausted. Yeah. So we're back in Gateland, business as usual. King Hygelac and Queen Higd are just, you know, doing whatever it is. They normally do. Drinking. The minstrel, they've got a minstrel too. Everyone's great. Got, everyone's got one. Uh, the minstrel's telling a story about the great queen, Modthrif. Uh, she's a bit of a ball buster, isn't she? Beowulf returns and he recounts his adventures. Yeah, by all means, recap the entire fucking story we've heard up to this point. It's a good again. bit. It's 
It's I, not about narrative content. It's about poetical well, formulations. I was wondering if there is actually a practical element to this because we're recapping things so much. Is this for stories that get told over multiple nights? Yeah, maybe, is this yeah. is this last week? On yeah, yeah, Beowulf? Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're obviously right, aren't you? Yeah. So he shows off his treasures, gives some of them to Hygelac. Oh, God, great. So we, we essentially get a recap of every gift-giving we've seen so far as Beowulf re-gifts all this shit. This is a low-rent version of Succession. <laughs> this is it just, it's littered with pointless, expensive objects that do nothing. This is, this is flightless Sky Mall. What Sky Mall? Next, we got kind of strange a bit, don't we? Because the narrator of the poem speaks in first person. I heard he presented Higd with a gorget. What's a gorget? What's a gorget? What's a gorget. gorget. It's like a little cleavage shield. It's like a <laughs> necklace that, that yeah. covers the good bits. And then this leads to a little fast forward through Beowulf's life. <laughs> Upon returning to Geatland, he gained new newfound respect from the Geats, because like, until that point they didn't really think much of him. And he became a big landowner. A few years later, both Hygelac and his son Heardred... So both, Beowulf's uncle and cousin. Both died in battle. So Beowulf became king of Geatland and ruled it well for 50 winters grew old and wise as warden of the land. The end. The end! Oh, that's great, isn't it? I'm so pleased that Beowulf... Just died in his sleep. Had a few adventures and then ruled justly and wisely for 50 years. Wow, we can cut out early then, I guess. Do you, do you want to get a horn of mead over at the local horn meadery? Or the mead hornery. <laughs> that's a different place. Oh, no way, except... One day, some local dudes, late in Beowulf's reign as king, stumble across a cave, and they find it full of treasure. One of them takes a goblet, and can I just say that finders keepers is a terrible mantra by which to live your life. Have you guys not seen No Country for Old Men? So they don't realize that they're at basically the fire escape entrance or whatever for a dragon's den. And the dragon immediately, because they always do, notices the Grand Theft Goblet and goes on a rampage. Why do dragons like treasure? What's, what's Why do magpies like treasure? Yeah. Do crabs do as well? Are crabs fascinated by shiny things? Got the old crabs. Um, not sure. The old crabs obsessed with the family jewels. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh no! I love the. We need some stuff about the dragon, please. Oh, I'm sorry. No, this is this is the point in the afternoon where the recording takes a turn. Just family jewels have come out. <laughs> the slick-skinned dragon had guarded the heathen gold for three centuries until the intruder unleashed its fury. He rippled down the rock, writhing with anger when he saw the footprints of the prowler who had stolen too close to his dreaming head. That's great, isn't it? I love that. The dreaming dragon. I mean, you can really see. Tolkien's ripping it off. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, well, I know he translated. Yeah, so a version of translated. I'm doing scare quotes for the listeners. <laughs> the dra I love this bit about the weird psychology of the dragon. The dragon flew around the barrow when he found out that he'd been robbed. Worked himself up by imagining battle, and with fierce impatience, took his pent up fury out on the geats, belching out flames and burning everything. Why is the dragon? Like, this is the most psychology that we've got so far, and it's about the dragon. <laughs> So the dragon gets furious and burns down a bunch of Geat villages. He just really goes to town. And so Beowulf, who, let's keep in mind, is very old at this point. So he's 
presumably 70 he's or 80. He's one day away from retirement, right? I mean, he's he's got a bad feeling about this. He may or may not be getting too old for this shit. Yeah. And he vows to battle the, quote, sky plague. Kenning! Hooray! He's like the uh, Duke of Wellington strapping on a sword at 80 and going to hunt for Spring Hill Jack. He's, he's just like that. We get a few kind of reminiscences from Beowulf's life. Flashbacks are never a good sign when you're like 70 and about to do a major boss battle. I mean, we're, we're getting the Spielberg sentimental lighting. We're getting Irish flutes. We're, everything's going slow-mo here. <laughs> so Beowulf and a kind of retinue of young warriors, some uh, young bucks, they go to fight the dragon. And uh, they cajole the original grave robber guy to take them to its domain. He led them to the earth vault he alone knew, an underground barrow near the billowing sea and heave of the waves. Ooh, I love that. It's so bleak. Beowulf, uh, preparing to do battle with the dangerous and watchful warden of that trove, is unsettled yet steady, sensing his death. We get yet more memories. Hooray! I, I love all this, the wistful s- stuff. He talks a lot about Swedes. He doesn't like them. The Geats and the Swedes apparently don't get on. The root vegetable? Yeah, exactly, yeah. We call them turnips in Cornwall. We call them turnips in the US You call Geats well. turnips too? Yeah. Okay. He makes a final formal boast. Beowulf loves his final formal boasts. Now I am old, but as king of the people, I shall pursue this fight for the glory of winning. It's not about looking after him or anything. It's not about stewardship over the state. It's just about glory. I would rather not use a weapon if I knew another way to grapple with the dragon and make good my boast, as I did against Grendel in days gone by. But I shall be meeting molten venom in the fire he breathes. So I go forth in mail shirt and shield. Just go into the light already. I'm sick of this. You don't need to explain why you are wearing armor. Can you imagine the level of toxic masculinity where you feel like you need to explain why you're wearing armor going up against a fucking dragon and you're not a pussy for doing it? No, it's like a kind of, it's not like that. It's like a kind of guide thing, isn't it? Like, like you'll notice that I'm uh, wearing mail, fine mail. I got this from a normal hardware store. I, I do have a sword. Uh... You'll want to get a pretty uh, three-foot-long, single-handed sword. You know, it's like that, isn't it? It's like a guide. Is that Jimmy Stewart's DIY YouTube channel? (laughs) You've been watching that too. So Beowulf squares off against the dragon and once again finds that his sword isn't up to the task. (laughs) Well, he's getting on in years. I just love the bit where the dragon comes out. Pouring forth in a hot battle fume, the breath of the monster burst from the rock. There was a rumble underground. Beowulf the warrior lifted his shield. The outlandish thing writhed and convulsed and viciously turned on the king. Come on, that's great. You need that. Imagine that, the big puff of fire, and then he's out. I can't. Showmanship. Carry <laughs> Yeah, throw a little barnum, a little razzle-dazzle. Yeah, exactly. So the battle's going pretty badly. The horde guard took heart, inhaled, and swelled up and got a new wind. The Horde Guard is the dragon, uh, dragon, by the way. Beowulf is filled in fire (laughs) uh, as a result of whatever happened there. Even worse, no help or backing was to be had from his high-born comrades. His hand-picked troop breaks rank and they run for their lives. Only one thane stays. His name was Wiglaf. Wiglaf. I'm not looking at you. Stop trying to make (laughs) eye contact with me. (laughs) And when he saw his lord tormented by the heat of his scalding helmet, he remembered the bountiful gifts bestowed on him. So, loyalty is measured in booty. Maybe in more ways than one. I mean, did Beowulf ever take a wife? They keep calling the kings ring givers, don't they? And there is a bit of that sense that, mm. like, all of the all of the thanes are sort of their like male harem. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a lot of that going on. Wiglaf has a go at his peers. You damn worms! You fair weather fiefs. So Wiglaf joins in in the fight. 
brandishing his ancestral blade. We get a bit of stuff about that. I don't mm-hmm. want to talk about that because it's boring. The dragon blows more fire. Everybody's in trouble. Beowulf's sword breaks. Thank you for saying that. Yes, Beowulf's sword breaks. Um, <laughs> that was literally the last sentence. Did you get bored of your own last sentence that you wrote? Yeah. Just. <laughs> so, when we were talking about this, and there's all this bit about the dragon, you know, rearing up and swelling and Beowulf's sword breaking off... When we were exchanging scripts, Daniel wrote this note to me. I know you're going to do the whole find the phallus Viagra reading here, but it's weird that swords are constantly useless in this poem. Against Grendel, against his mother, unless it's her own sword, and now against the dragon. What's going on there? Interesting that only a woman's sword can cut the mustard. It's the men of Scandinavia who have penis envy? Yep, that's That's what I wrote. That's how I talk. So, here is the response. My dude... I have a pretty basic bitch reading of this, but I don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> it's more than inadequacy when squaring up with other men. It's inadequacy in the face of women, i.e. Beowulf, for all his greatness, can't, uh, find it. Funny that only a woman's sword could do the job, and no men's swords come anywhere close. Daniel, this poem is a lesbian. Someone had to fucking say it. So, I mean, we're, we're going to talk a lot more about dick imagery in this, but it is really weird that... The men are very measury with each other, but Grendel's mother, it's only her sword that can do it. I mean, it's just, it, this, this does feel... I, I'm, I'm going to stand by my reading. This poem itself is a lesbian. But... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not taking any further questions at this time. I, think I said what I said. What you're saying, and, that the metaphor is not so literalized for it to mean a literal penis, but it's about sexual power being rooted in femininity. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. No, 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 I like that reading. Finally, the dragon swoops in a third time and he bites Beowulf on the damn neck. I'm not really sure how that's possible because he surely would have just bitten his whole dang head off. But it's a dainty nibble. He's, he's trying to savor Beowulf. We got, we got a gentleman up in here. And the text says, quote, The dragon caught the hero in a rush of flame and clamped sharp fangs on his neck. Beowulf's body ran wet with his lifeblood. It came welling out. That's great. With his dying breath, Beowulf is able to stab the dragon in its tender undercarriage. Ooh, we tend to run to courage. (laughs) But Beowulf, who has just had his damn neck chewed off by a dragon, which is apparently also poisonous, which is sort of not mythology I had ever known, he's still somehow alive, and his warriors try to give him some medical care, but Beowulf is already thinking about that great meat hall in the sky he starts musing on his life and deeds great so more recapping and beowulf's final order is to tell his men to go loot the dragon's treasure and then he orders the construction of a great big tomb for his body to lie in the narrator mourns the dragon as well which i like that's charming no longer would his snake folds ply themselves to guard gold in the hoard never again would he glitter and glide and show himself off in the midnight air oh sad isn't it you are so useless to me in this episode because you're actually really like enjoying i am really enjoying it. it's ridiculous i know i'm really enjoying it though wiglaf you remember him he rebukes the other cowardly lords and he's like oh i'm worried that with beowulf's death some hard times lie ahead for the geats i i'm not going to go into the detail there's a lot of elaboration on the various internecine issues between the scandinavian peoples Wiglaf oversees Beowulf's funeral. He burns him on the pyre. We get another great pyre bit. The blaze roared and drowned out their weeping. Wind died down and flames wrought havoc in the hot bone house, burning it to the core. Another kenning there. A geat woman laments Beowulf's death and the fate of her people. She 
burdened herself of her worst fears, a wild litany of nightmare and lament, her nation invaded, enemies on the rampage, bodies in piles, slavery and abasement. I don't want the people of Geekland to get piles, so that's that's terrible, isn't it? What are piles? Hemorrhoids. <laughs> of course! Okay, alright. The, the Geeks construct Beowulf's tomb, and mourn his loss. They said that of all the kings upon the earth, he was the man most gracious and fair-minded, kindest to his people, and keenest to win fame. It's over. Sad ending. Uh, is it actually over, or is this a this is No, this ending? is it. This is really Are it. Are you sure? And we know it's over because Geatland's not a country anymore, isn't it? It's just a province of Sweden. The Swedes smashed it. The end. Well, that was a stone-cold bummer, and now I understand where Hamlet came from. The end! Airwolf, wow. The first work of English literature, unless you count the seafarer. Which I don't. Okay. You know my feelings yeah, on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Casting. I think you know where I'm gonna go with this. Vince Vaughn. What? I've never once said that name to you. This frat pack. <laughs> no. Like, uh, what's it called? Old School. Mm -hmm. I bloody love that film. Do you actually? Because I can't tell with you. You said that in a way that could go either way. Obviously not. I don't like that film. I'm more of a kind of Tarkovsky kind of guy. That famous dichotomy, old school, or the works of Tarkovsky. I think it kind of is the okay. dichotomy, right? I think they are mutually exclusive. Anyone out there who is both a fan of Tarkovsky and old school, I want Please to write, hear yeah, from I want, you. Yeah, I do want to hear I from need you. I want, you to... I want you to be brought in for study. <laughs> so, this would make a great 80s action film. Uh, something so macho it veers into camp and just has a preposterous body count. And I have a Dane who was alive in the 80s who would have been perfect. A young Maz Mickelson who would have been in his early mid-20s in the late 80s. I want Alan Rickman as Grendel. I want Linda Hamilton or Sigourney Weaver as, as Grendel's mother. And I want Rutger Hauer as Hrothgar. And I haven't specifically cast Hrothgar's wife, but I want her to look nasty 80s hot, like she's just come from rolling around on the hood of a car in a white snake video, or like she's a tramp in the movie Roadhouse. Oh, this is a real and, sacrilegious. And in the final battle scene, I've even given the score, because it would be just so perfect for the movie that I've invented in my head, I want them to play blondies one way or another. You're so we've, mad at we've... me right now. We have got so much, I'm imagining like a kind of Ingmar Bergman, <laughs> black and white, brooding, occasionally there's a bit of fighting, but it's mainly just people going like, Oh no, I've thought about that Life direction. Life is hard. Life is dreary. The world is full of chaos and vicissitude. And he plays chess against Grendel's mother. <laughs> no, uh, look, I thought about going in that direction. But no, you, well, also, the flesh is weak. The bone wrappings are weak. Do some analysis, please. <laughs> All my points are pretty dreary. I was thinking about the kind of weird conjunction of Christian and pagan values, and I kind of thought pagan on one side, honor, plunder, feuds, violence and all that, versus like magnanimity, divine right, demons and things. And I was just thinking, is that just like what medieval culture is? Are we kind of seeing the sort of early stages of their convergence, the convergence between barbarian codes and Christian codes? And I just thought that was interesting. I don't know anything about the Middle Ages, but I feel like that's... The Middle Ages is that, right? It's a kind of hodgepodge of Christian and barbarian values. Somewhere, my best friend Justine is cracking her knuckles. She's gonna whoop your ass. Okay. And I'm gonna let her. She's the barbarian and I'm the, uh, monkish <laughs> Christian type. Okay. Well, I was thinking about this, though, in terms of time scales as well. It's divided into 
two periods in his life. Possibly three, I suppose, if you talk about his backstory and him mm. fighting the sea beasts and things. So I suppose he does have some sort of legendary history. The The two periods of his life are given fairly equal weight, and the three monsters in his life are all given fairly equal weight. Yet we remember Grendel the most. Why is that? There's something weird going on here with time and division and the pacing of this. There is a kind of, well, like, yeah, like we were saying with all the false endings and stuff, there is a sense that... The Grendel story is the most glory-filled and the most iconic, and then everything else gets a bit stranger. Which is weird, because Grendel's mother, that seems to me to be the more impressive. They had to hunt her down, he had to swim there, he had to kill her, even though no sword could pierce her. He, you know, it's, mm -hmm. he had to swim back, he had to, you know... Well, the dragon's pretty impressive, too. And the, yeah, yeah exactly, but yeah, why, why Grendel? I suppose Grendel is the guy that started the whole thing, isn't he? Maybe that's it. It's the kind of, he's the impetus for the narrative. Yeah. He's this, he himself is a legend, because people, everyone around Scandinavia is talking about Heorot's yeah. problems with Grendel. Mm -hmm. The poem itself has a kind of... It is set in a kind of epic past, isn't it? A kind of fantasy world of pre-Christian, but also pseudo-Christian practices but it also has its own epic past doesn't it it has the kind of mm. the world of the giants the gigantomachy and all the kind of you know the origins of war and everything so i think it's a very time conscious poem and it doesn't really have any answers it's just kind of aware of it as a kind of weird phenomenon yeah beowulf is kind of a supernatural figure isn't he there's a lot of parallels between beowulf and the dragon it's kind of like these are the last figures of this heroic age so I feel like maybe there's a bit of that going on. With They're almost losing a battle to the, the, you know, the Christ figure who they, they don't even know that they're fighting. Yeah. It's a war being waged on a completely different plane and they're losing and they don't even realize it. What about like nationalism and stuff? I thought that was, because there's loads of Geats, Danes, Swedes, Frisian, Franks, all these different tribes and shit. But it's not like a lot of other epic poems where it's kind of like, and the end, that's why the Welsh live in Wales or, you know, things like that. There's not much of that. It's more just kind of like, it's all chaos and we're all killing each other. And... But there's also a lot of intermarriage and they're not really distinguished from each other mm -hmm. in any way. So I think it's, I don't know if it's a deliberate commentary, but it certainly reads like that nowadays yeah. of, we're all basically the same. We're all fighting just for arbitrary glory. Yeah. Who cares? But it's, it's just how we do. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's English and there's no mention of England at all. It's, it's clearly England remembering its Scandinavian roots. But do we get that with other sort of invading forces in England, so like the Normans. Is there some sort of Norman poem that we've co-opted? Why this one? I suppose to some extent Arthurian legend is borrowing very heavily yeah, from the that's French. A kind so. of, that's a weird Kelto-Britonic-French hybrid thing, isn't it? So I suppose, yeah, you're right, that's the, that's the Norman thing. <laughs> you have a lovely note here that I, I really like. Gender, colon, a bloody blokey yarn. It is a bloody uh, blokey yarn, isn't it? Yeah. Women really do play second fiddle here, and that's why the queer readings are rampant in this, mm -hmm. as are just the general sort of penis readings. It's, it's really hard not to see them, frankly. Mm. I can't get over the fact that Grendel's mother doesn't have her own identity, or you can't give her a name. She's scarier than Grendel, and she gave birth to him, so it's like there, there's a sort of, like, er power there. Yeah. Deeper, you think darker. You think that's kind of sexist or something? I think that's incredibly sexist. Yeah, I suppose it is. I, cannot, I was going to say I quite like it from a sort of Freudian point of view, but that's still sexist, isn't it? But I like her as this kind of, you know, you thought the grandmother was scary, wait, the mother figure, the, you know, mummy's coming to get you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the, the big thing about it is, okay, if, even if it is a patriarchal poem, it's, well, or if it is a kind of male-centric poem, its sense of masculinity is not even all that great, is it? So, okay, Beowulf is some kind of all-round super hunk <laughs> and um, can kind of apparently just do whatever he likes. 
But even he's a kind of boaster, and there's this sense that every other man in the world is a kind of coward or a braggart or a drunkard or a dotard, and they just can't meet the task. People keep running away from situations. Mm. Hrothgar can't protect his own people from Grendel. So all the men in it are fairly rubbishy as well. Patriarchy can't recoup its costs. That's interesting. It's a shit system, but it's the only system we've got. That seems to be the the message of uh, I'd be I'd be willing to entertain this as a poem that is sexist and is also an indictment of masculinity. I love the, the kind of weird vitality of the world, that every part of the world is kind of alive, and, but in the most disgusting way, like, everything's floating with gore and shit and murk and everything and mire, but it's all kind of alive and it all has its own kind of vitality and its own symbolic value, but in the worst possible way. I love that. There's a kind of really nasty optimism, or maybe you'd call it, I don't know. I love that. That's the great thing about poetry, isn't it? That everything can, everything exists in its own right. Sorry, I'm just, I'm, I'm quietly smiling at you because that's the most you reading of this poem. And, and I think you've convinced me. You've, uh, you've pulled me away from a sort of, not necessarily dislike, but a certain dissatisfaction with this poem. But I think, I, I think you're right that there's something there. And it is, I think, that sort of, I don't want to, I don't want to keep coming back to the sort of Viking spirit mm. of this sort of glory and there is only life through death and violence. But I think the language does sort of mirror that a little bit in that you're right. It's, it's so repulsive and destructive, but vital. Okay, so here is some advice, and we've alluded to this quite a bit, but this is actually a pedagogic tool. This is a teaching tool that we use with tool. our... <laughs> Very nice. It's a tool we use with our own students, and it's a game we play called Find the Phallus, right? So when you're analyzing a text, look for imagery that is a bit penile, right? And in this poem, we have so much about masculinity. We have so much about swords failing people and swords getting broken off. And it might seem like, oh, that's just a prurient reading. It's not. If you guys watch any TV show or movie that has a lot to do with swords, so Game of Thrones, Pirates of the Caribbean, Star Wars, look how they place different characters' swords in relation to each other. Like, just pay attention of like, oh, someone's sword looks really small in the background. That is a deliberate choice to tell you something about their relationship. The same goes for literary text. So just just pay attention to anything that might be a little bit um, penis-y that will tell you something about a dynamic that is happening. I am not making this up. Authors are filthy. Even not intentionally. Even not intentionally. The fact, the fact that Grendel's mother lives in a cave. You have to dive down deep to find... I mean, like, come on, that is such <laughs> vaginal imagery. It's, yeah. it's ludicrous. So that, that is a, that's a really easy way to get your students to close read. Just have them play a game of like, all right, show me the phallic imagery in this text. The clue to our next episode. So this is our first properly modernist novel. I'm not super counting The Great Gatsby. No, yeah. yeah. It's not high modernism. Not high, yeah. But this, so we're in the 1920s, proper modernism. And Jonathan Swift, from the author of Gulliver's Friend Travel- of the podcast, Jonathan Swift. <laughs> Friend of the podcast, yeah. Jonathan Swift, the author of Gulliver's Travels, which we was our, our season two opener, he appears in this as a character and as an asshole in this, too. Lovely being with you all. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to see you. Lovely to visit with you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Thank you for the tea. Yep. And see you next on the f- next flip side. <laughs> we... <laughs> I was channeling somebody's granny. All of a sudden, you you're channeling a skateboarder from 1991. See, I'm the I am. Drop. I am. 
I can't be pinned down. I'm like the oh, I know. You contain multitudes, you polyphonic son of a bitch. I know. I know. <laughs> so write into our email. Tweet us. Subscribe. Do it. You know what to do. Farewell. Best wishes. Daniel. Kind regards. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Save Me From My Shelf. Our music is The Overture to Don Giovanni by Mozart, and cover art is by Catherine Wu. Our thanks to Aston University's Centre for Critical Inquiry and to Society and Culture for funding the startup of this podcast. Contact us at savemefrommyshelf at gmail.com or at smfms underscore podcast on Twitter. And do not... I'm going to remind you, do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Do not forget. Thank you.